Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 278 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome! In this episode I talk to Tyrus Peace of Floating Island Games about their first person platformer adventure game, Cloudbase Prime. Yeah, there's a lot to this one, you're going to love it. So, without further ado, let's uh, hear from me from the distant past, well not so distant, a few weeks ago. Anyway, Chris, could you be so kind? Thanks. Taurus. Yes, hello. Who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm Tyrus Peace and I uh, run Floating Island Games, or I am Floating Island Games, and I make games for not a living, but just to make them and release them, <laughs> let folks play. You do indeed, and you've made one in, in the form of Cloud-Based Prime, which is an extraordinary game which people really should be playing, and... Uh, it's going to be difficult to talk about it in the second half of the show because I don't want to spoil anything. Because it just, I don't. But so we're going to have to talk very abstract terms. Sorry, everyone. But you, you know, regular listeners, you know how it works. So we, how, yeah. how do things roll around here um, from the outset? It would be good to at least let folks know there's a story, though. Do, know, do, there's, there's a story. There's a story. <laughs> but we'll talk, we'll, let's keep our powder dry for now before mm-hmm. we get into that. Let's ask uh, some background questions for you, good self, Taurus. Um, how did you start making flashy, lighty video games? Well, I got started uh, way back in uh, StarCraft and Half-Life making mods, really. Uh, so I think I was a teenager back then, 98, maybe 12, um, depending on the month. But anyhow, I made Diablo-like maps. Um, I mean, very, very serious stuff. You know, it was called Rebel Cow RPG. It was based on a uh, webcomic I hosted on GeoCities at the time. Wow, this is all like going Half-Life, GeoCities, the early 2000s. We just didn't have a clue, did we, what was going to happen? Yeah. Uh, when, you, when you go back, when you have to remind people, like 2004, like, yeah, that was 16 years ago. No, it was Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Yeah? We were still using it's Windows a- XP. No. Yeah, yes, yes, we were. <laughs> I got overthinking the 90s were 10 years ago, yeah. about three years ago. So. Three years ago, three years ago. But the early noughties, <laughs> early noughts, new 2000s, still, still tough, still tough. But Half-Life was, what a, what, a, what a thing. You know, without it, where would we be, honestly? Oh, it was incredible. I, I don't think people uh, really realize now how, how much it shaped game development because it not only was a great tool set, 
uh, especially the level editor, it gave you an audience in a way that no other game release really would give you. Um, for example, especially with multiplayer, you could release um, a mod and people would just sort of trickle in and try it out. And that, that was outstanding. I used to work on Buzzy Bots. I made levels for that. It was a cel-shaded robot versus robot game. Um, and, you know, it only ever had 10 servers tops probably, but that was enough. There was a community. It existed. Nobody was saying, oh, it's dead or whatnot because they knew it was a small thing and it, they knew it wasn't for money. And it was just a tab in a server browser. Uh, you know, free press on planethalflife.com back in the day was a, was a huge deal. And so it, it gave people a taste for what actual game development was like back then, um, which is, especially back then, wouldn't really have been possible. There wasn't Twitter or any really shared blog platform like that. You know, everybody was still siloed up in their websites. Yes, there's floating islands. I mean, there's that bit like that now, but the communities, it wasn't nearly as connected as it is now. And um, you're right, there was people, uh, Blues News, I seem to remember, doing wads and doing little like, yeah. you know, blog posts about making custom you know, maps for Quake and stuff like this. And, and it all started from there and... Um, but yeah, Half-Life was the big one. That was the engine that people just gravitate towards because it was so straightforward and was so um, easy to grasp um, for good or ill. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, and I do remember the excitement around Half-Life 2 because it was building off of that. And people said, yeah, you and then, then Counter-Strike appeared and then the world pretty much ended. <laughs> <laughs> with with mods, well, it didn't. It began, I should say, um, exploded with the, uh, the the strength of mods. I mean, Dota. Look at Dota. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's you know on the uh, the StarCraft Warcraft side of things. There, um, mm, yeah, yeah. And just having this sort of built-in lobby where you could go and play with random people that was built into the game. It gave you this free discovery that we still don't have today. Uh, I mean, multiplayer. Um, games now from indies it's hard i i would not recommend it because you come out for a few weeks and people say hey this is great and then they close it and they forget to ever do, do it again yeah it's it's like that isn't it it's very frustrating you know you you've got to build that community up and uh if they're not there if they're not going to be um if it as, as wonderful as multiplayer works with your friends and the people were sort of supporting you, and then you push it out, and it just dies. Like, what happened? Like, there's too much out there. There's, you're competing against people's time, and there's a diminishing returns and smaller audience. I'm sure you all know about this, yes? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, nowadays you can actually sell it for money, which is you know an improvement for most people that were making mods back then, I would assume. But, yeah, if people forget about you, what's it matter? Um, it's, it's a tough... It's a tough thing to be doing, but yeah, uh, yeah. anyhow, I, I should probably stop talking about multiplayer so much since Cloudburst Prime is is not multiplayer. It it's not a central no. focus. <laughs> it's a central gonna, focus of all that Half Life Starcraft how, stuff. How did you make your transition from making mods to original core titles from from scratch? How did you find that transition, and what 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 triggered it all? I mean, it's it's a natural transition, surely. But what was the the, the point you, you made that? turning point well 
I worked on a mod called Acro for Half-Life. Uh, that was something I tried to make myself after I enjoyed working on BuzzyBots. I was only a level designer at the time. I think I programmed a crappy stick figure animation of Ryu and Ken shooting fireballs at each other in QBasic, and that was about it. Uh, so I could not program for myself at that point. And, you know, I had well-meaning friends that helped me out and whatnot, but they're too novice. We didn't get anywhere. And so I thought, okay, I've got to learn this programming stuff. And uh, that really waited a few years until I made it to college. And I ended up making some, you know, 2D games in Java, um, started kludging together engines out of pre-existing uh, rendering engines or whatnot that worked out there in physics. So sticking together the old stuff like OpenSceneGraph, Ogre3D, um, all of that to try and get a game going. And uh, after college, I finally... Well, between college and this, I went to industry, worked on boring stuff, uh, programming programs for Garmin, GPSs, what's not. But eventually I discovered Unity in my free time, and that was 2009, I think, back in Unity 2.x. It had just been ported over from the Mac. A big new Windows release. And I was tinkering with ideas that were way too big for me because it was a cool toy and I wanted to learn how to use it. But I really didn't bother making games with it still at that point. Because, you know, it wasn't like a mod. It was a whole engine. I had to do a lot more to actually make a game. And finally, I uh, stumbled upon game jams. I released six games in six months, and all of a sudden I felt like I was a game developer. And uh, after that, I made Cloud-Based Prime for seven-day FPS, and people actually liked it. And that was the game that got me started on game development. Um, I don't want to say for reals, but... In terms of a longer commitment, a bigger project, absolutely. Uh, Cloudbase Prime was my first project that I spent more than 10 days on. Because all these other things were, you know, game jams either by myself or with friends over the weekend. I was a working stiff. Um, but Cloudbase Prime, I figured, okay, I'm still going to work every day, 9 to 5. But if I go home and I've got time, I'll work on that. Nice. It's a wonderful story, and uh, as a you know, it's um, I think there were some very interesting points about how you kickstarted your creative juices again by doing game jams because that's what I think what it was, if I may. My observation is that for a while you you did the thing, you you studied, you went to university, and then you graduated, you went off into industry, as you say, and um, you know, programmed for databases for insurance companies, or etc. And that's you know, <laughs> that's that pays the bills and actually some people do get excited about that and that's fine but you still still after all these almost a decade maybe afterwards that, I, st I still don't want to make what are, what are the game jams what are those okay make a game in two, 48 hours sounds like a plan we can do that and you that's great and using and then from that you um, built stepping stones you realise I can actually make a game and you finally realise that to make a game is going to take more than 48 hours or indeed 10 days it's going to take 18 months maybe two years and that once you bit into that and accepted that cloud-based prime became a thing and i'm very grateful for that yeah absolutely i, I will say that working in industry helped give me a taste for what it was to release something um you know how much sacrifice is required in terms of saying well this stuff's not going to make it put that aside we'll see you later important features that I, I love. 
Um, and being able to take that basic knowledge into game jabs, being okay with cutting, uh, made releasing such a thrill in that short, short time frame. You now there's this last, oh, however long you give yourself, really, uh, maybe half day or so at the end of a game jam, just say, oh, God, this needs to actually be a game. I need to have this do something outside of the editor. You know, I need to be able to uh, die or exit. Simple well, things like that that you've neglected well, because you're too busy playing with systems. Or, or indeed start or indeed have a menu at the beginning with options. Yeah, menus. Yeah, menus. It's, yeah, it's like, can't they just compile it themselves? No, no, they can't. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> That's the code that I know. I know. You have to make the It's a nice bite-sized way of getting into that release. I mean, I mean honestly, yeah. with a bigger game, it, the release drags on and on, and it's this sort of purgatorial thing you wade through. But, uh, <laughs> but at least you get a nice taste of it with a game jam where you go, oh, this is where the game really happens, you know? I'm saying there's no time, I've got to cut this, and suddenly I can focus on what's important in the game, and you really get that nugget instead of fiddling with systems that you're not sure about over and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you also hinted at the fundamental thing that people don't really understand about the creative process is that whatever medium, it doesn't have to be video games, it could be any medium, it's very destructive. Um, Absolutely. You make a mountain of stuff, but only probably depending on what you're doing. could be 5%, could be 20%, could be 90% of that actually survives um, the actual final experience. Um, and uh, the best editors of text or literature understand this. That's why every writer needs an editor. They really, really do. <laughs> um, so, um, anyway. So, moving swiftly on to the next question. This one's a bit nebulous. So it's a bit difficult to wrap your head around. But, you know, these questions do get more and more odd. Um, but is there, there's, a, there's a logic behind it, trust me. Um, so, as a creator of things, Tyrus, what do you believe are your biggest influences? Uh, it's a it's a tough one. I'm I'm not really uh, because of how I started off with game jams and whatnot. I'm not really tied to a genre like a lot of developers, especially you know, newer developers tend to be. Uh, but I think my biggest influence is just the goofier games out there. You know, your uh, your Katamari Damacy, uh, Jumping Flash, etc. Now, that's not what I actually spent most of my time playing as a kid, but just the fact that there are these games that are willing to be honestly clunky, um, just so they could also be a very good, fun toy box to experience. And, uh, you know, there was the, the thing that keeps you coming back isn't really progression so much as it is just wanting to play again. It's, it's a toy. And that I found that really to be an inspiring thing. Um, did Another you not find? Thing. Did you not? Sorry, just to, just when you're saying this in describing it, did you not find that the PSP had a lot of these games, like Loco Roco and Patapon? Because I missed out. Every PSP game that got ported out. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. <laughs> I, I went and checked out Patapon specifically because of that. But I have this gaping hole in my gaming oh, history. And it's oh, a PSP. I've got three PSPs and a mountain of. UMDs, and I'm happy to say, and uh, yes, they all work. I did it right, <laughs> did it right. Um, but uh, 
No, I had to cut in there. Sorry, audience, but uh, you can't say things like, you know, crazy, wacky game without thinking, what do you mean PSP? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. and, and early PlayStation also, actually. Yes. There's something about the, yes. the graphic fidelity and probably the lack of analog sticks that forced people to make some pretty weird, um, weirdly controlled 3D games uh, during that specific era. Yeah, people don't recognize or remember what that was like without the analog stick. Nintendo got it right with the N64 saying, if you got 3D space, you'd kind of need an analog stick. But yeah. Saturn and you know Sega and Sony went, nah, it'd be f- Oh, wait. <laughs> no, 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 Nintendo are right. Yes, they are. Again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's a wonderful thing to reach out to, though. To, to, to and, uh, irre- irreverence then yeah and per game um what really inspires me will will differ uh so like for cloud prime for example I, I really was inspired by how much extra storytelling juice you get out of the uh, first person perspective it's it's kind of amazing to me how much more buy-in you get just from putting the camera directly in the in the character, uh, albeit usually their upper chest, but hey, um, it, just that perspective really helps the uh, player get surprised by things, uh, be invested when honestly you've done a little less than you'd have to in a third person game. And that, that's always been sort of enchanting to me, and it's kind of inspired me to go a little bit further maybe than I would with this story um, in you know a third person game. I, probably want to keep it lighter i probably wouldn't think oh i can suddenly change the tone uh but because of that and because i'd seen it uh, in you know good single player first person shooters that were really low tech at the time i mean yeah half-life jumping flash i've been mentioning those there just was not you know anything that we could really call immersive in today's graphics sure it was impressive at the time but even back then you know the you had these little cockroaches that were shaped like kites wandering around the floor and you were kind of impressed you could step on them. You know, it's not putting you there, but it's got a level of, uh, yeah, investment. But more importantly, it makes you want to play around more. So tying back into how I really like games being toys. When you're in first person, you're just bobbing your head around and looking and exploring the game. For some reason, you are willing to just sort of hop on crates and hit things with crowbars poke at every damn thing for no real reason. You don't need as much motivation to do it. And so that's part of why uh, first-person games are pretty exciting for me because it really ties into that toy element well. Yeah. Every game's a Lego set. Yeah. <laughs> should yeah. be. It should be anyway. But, uh, yeah, it's um, you're right. I mean, these are you're playing around with stuff. The only exception to that is when you get wound up, if I may is the grand strategy games like Stellaris and Europa Universalis 4. You don't. You start off messing around a bit, but 100 hours in, you, you're not messing around. <laughs> oh, no. But yeah, there's a point where you commit, right? Yeah. Say, okay, I've invested so much time in this. I, I've said I'm doing this now. I have to see it through. And yeah. Hopefully this will be the win for me. Yeah, this I put investment. I'm going to... I'm going to annex this planet if it kills me. 
<laughs> oh dear, I could tell stories, but I won't. It's not about me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> another thing about my specific workflow, mm. I should mention in terms of inspiration, is that I, I do a lot of different things. Um, I really, when I was getting started, like I said, I was just doing level design and art. Uh, in my spare time, I made comics. And uh, in my games now, I do all of that, and voice acting, etc. And so ping-ponging back and forth between all these things really helps me get inspired. Um, it feels like, and, and sounds, I'm sure, like total garbage to say, my, I inspire myself. <laughs> but all I mean to say is that it's it really is very, very motivating and inspiring to be able to just say, you know what, let me make an art test of what this will look like and make what will be very close to the end game uh you know, visual design and whatnot in an extremely small slice, of course, have a look at it and then, you know, toy around with that to imagine all of the different gameplay systems and how it'll feel to play. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I think I'm getting the, the gist of your influences now. It's the act of play. That's it. It's the, yeah, that's it. And that's wonderful. And that's laudable. So thank you. Right, next question then, and then I guess these do questions do get really odd, um, but you know they've been around for years and they work. So, what developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Hmm, Ad admire is an interesting. Uh, <clears throat> if you look idea. upon them and go, you developer, you know whether it's a company or a person, you carry on doing the thing. That that's great. It's uh, yeah, there's plenty of games that I find inspiring and whatnot, but in terms of uh, admiration, it has to go out to the developers that really you know put down um, foundations for other people to build on. So, anybody that makes their games moddable, um, but like I said earlier, Half Life and Starcraft were huge, I mean, they got me started, they gave me something that did not exist back then, um, and so, so because of that, you know, um. I would say, you know, Gabe Newell, um, and well, I really should just say Valve and Blizzard. I don't feel like those have really huge standout designers. You know, they work um, as groups, really. And well, of course, every game development does. They've just done a better job <laughs> of keeping folks from following a specific director or producer than other studios have. And th just that concept of putting those tools out there and helping helping game development grow as a community is something that's all been really inspiring to me. And frankly, it took me a while to get over the idea that I wanted to do that myself because it's uh, it's much too big of a thing for one person to do, <laughs> turns out. Yes, yes. But the tools available now in the Barrow Venture now is much lower than it was 20 years ago. Yes, exactly. I don't feel like I'd even be giving a gift to the community at that point. I just say, look at this weird tool I made. Go use something better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's something we do sort of uh, touch upon in the show. Often we sort of think about what it was like in the eighties or indeed the uh, nineties, where everything was in assembly. <laughs> everything there was, yeah. there was, there was no high level languages. You couldn't, you couldn't. <laughs> it was all, it was all actually ones and zeros. <laughs> so, yeah, think, think on that for the moment. You know, you play micro machines on your. Genesis and like, wait, there was all once, yes, just, just 
That's what I had. If somebody made this in assembly, you know, I I worked in assembly once. Yeah, I think I uh, made it multiply and and divide for extra credit, and that was incredibly hard. So hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> think about all those NES games. All of all of them. All of them. All of yeah, them. Tyrus. Such a wild was, challenge. Yeah, it's just like. The mere, the mere thought of it, but that's how they did it because that's all that's the tools they had. But you know, from that, here we are today with things like C Sharp merged lovingly with Unity, and lo, we have lovely games like Cub Base Prime. So, great answer, and it's an honest answer as well. Blizzard and, and Valve have done a lot of good, whether you like it or not. Yes, recently they've done some interesting things, but <laughs> we'll go there. Indeed. This is not, this is not a... from the indie perspective. Yes, yes, yes. But let's not go there. They've they've they left a wonderful legacy. Um, although Alex is fun, anyway, we're here to talk about that. It is. We're here to talk about apparently talk about um, what are you playing right now? That's the last question. The first half. Well, what? I. Uh... I just finished Final Fantasy VII Remake. Well done. And did you like it? That was, I did. Good. I, I really, really enjoyed the lengths that they went to bring all these stupid monsters from the original PlayStation game into, uh, into you know, a modern, uh, modern graphics and sort of more realistic setting. I, I don't want to mention any of them that are especially spoilery, but I think it's, I don't think it's a spoiler to say there's a Tonberry. No, Statue of um, Limitations, I think, has gone after 25 years. Just to remind you how long that's how long it's been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, 23, uh, 23 years. <laughs> but, but in, well, I mean, they do handle everything differently in this game. Yeah. But the Topberry, you know, it's brought out by a bunch of thugs that are chasing you down, and they basically drop it like it's a bomb and run away. And I just find that to be the most comical um, way of bringing this terrifying, slow monster. Um, into a game that looks way more realistic and acts way more realistic about itself than it did uh, 20 years ago or however long that was now. Yeah, I did, don't. But... <laughs> yeah, I did the math and I'm sad. I, just, I don't yeah. need to say the math. It's, it okay. Don't, just don't. Um, I must confess that I didn't play on the PlayStation because I was very much into my PC gaming at the time. And uh, I was also just, you know, I had a ridiculous monster of a PC um, so I played it on the PC back in the day. Uh, so it looked just a little bit better, um, but uh, still just a little. Yeah, just just, just a little. And honestly, it wasn't that much. Honestly, I mean, the backgrounds are lovely, but the, what happens is the models, the 3D rendered models, rather than the blurring and lovely sort of CRT sort of blurring images you had on this PlayStation, that wasn't there. It's all sharp. Oh dear! Oh yeah, that was not something that needed to be sharper. Those yeah, cuboid <laughs> uh, people. Cuboid people. They weren't. The they were, it was all very, you know. Oh wow, that's really that. They're really there, and uh, it was. Um, yeah, I only, back in the day, I only got to the bit of the chocobo, and so he's got you got a gamble on the. Cho- I don't. I don't care. I just don't. <sighs> and it's like I don't care about this because <laughs> it's weird. Because I've got through, you know. Chrono Trigger, just fine. But that's a different game, Chris. What are you talking about? Anyway, because um, that's a work <laughs> of genius. Um, but anything it else? Yeah, it is. It's still to this day holds up. Um, what about uh, anything else apart from uh, 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 Final Fantasy VII? Anything else? Well, I'd put Half-Life Alex on pause to go and finish Final <laughs> Fantasy VII Remake at the time. 
Nice. Uh, so I'll have to get back to that. Uh, honestly, I found that one uh, surprisingly hard to uh, get immersed in as a VR game, which I know sounds ridiculous since everybody's saying that's the top tier, most polished. But I think a big thing is uh, because of the goal for polish in that game, they've actually removed a lot of the causes or opportunities for clunkiness um mainly any way to hit anything with a, a melee attack you know you can't swing your arms and uh hit something with well obviously a crowbar that would be uh, well, <laughs> you yeah. expected to have something but literally anything you pick up you know you think oh i have a pipe in my hand you try hitting something with it and, mm, maybe oh. something will stumble backwards a little bit but not not much more than that and uh there's just a lot of things about it that are a little they need to be um they need to be that smoothed down, that simplified to really work when all you've got is floating hands to work with in VR nowadays. But at the same time, it's I feel like it's a bit too much of a sacrifice, you know. Uh, that said, I, I'm I'm wowed by it. It is amazing and really fun to play. But it's now that I paused, um, I found that that's really a bit of a surprise to me that you know Valve of all people couldn't really figure that out or didn't want to make that compromise at the very least interesting so i'm currently so playing... a lot of the stress and scariness comes from you know right. oh i have to reload <laughs> <laughs> oh dear i'm currently playing through black mesa that's good because they released a 1.0 of that very recently that's fun oh, yeah it's uh they've done a really good job of that fix it fix zen which needed fixing. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> and also playing through Beat Saber, because um, we're doing a recording at Kane Rince this weekend. So uh, That's a great game for these times. It's a fantastic game for these times. A game that makes you feel alive, my friend. It really, I, really I does. I literally jumped in for 10 minutes before this interview. You did? Well, uh, 20 minutes before this interview. I didn't want to be sweaty. There you go. So uh, that campaign mode, whoa, it gets a bit ridiculous halfway through. It's like, hey, here's disappearing arrows. What? Yeah, there you go. Eat that. What? Yeah, you've got to remember what that arrow said. I don't re- Oh, <laughs> I haven't played this level enough for that yet. Oh, God. <laughs> they just go. They just, they go, there you go. Right in the distance, little box, tiny in there. And it's like, there you go. Let's see the arrow. Did you see it? That's gone now. <laughs> what? Yeah, it's, it really makes the the most of the possible controls in a VR game, you know, because all you've got is the floating head and floating hands. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's all you got. Excellent. It's excellent. Oh, it really oh by the way, it would be yes, crazy yes. If you could run it like ninety frames per second on two cameras at once. Hmm. Okay, mm, okay. I'll give you boxes and lightsabers. Let's do this. Let's do this. It's, yeah, it's genius. It's genius. And... The, the first the the first little clip of that game I saw, I went, oh well, that's that's that. They nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that's no better VR concept, you know. That's it. That's it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and what I love about it is the game knows where your where your hand is. It knows where your hand correction where your hand should be. You're like, how am I going to do? You doing a return swing? Oh yeah, it's genius. Oh yeah, excellent if, level design in that game. Yeah, it's really yeah. very impressive. I love it when the blocks appear and you got a duck. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Especially if it's timed with something uh, cheesy in the lyrics, you know, like, oh, yeah. no walls will ever stop us. And you're like, oh, I have to jump back and forth. <laughs> I'm 
glad no one's watching me, but I'm into this. Yeah, it's weird because the, the music's not really my my thing. Gonna have to say, but it's some of it is, but my vast majority of it is just. Sorry, where's Aphex Twin when you need it? Anyway. That game's got some pretty good mods, though. Pretty good custom levels. That's true. On to the second half of the show, where we delve deep into Cloud Base Prime. First question, as regular listeners will know, is not a question, but it's a request. We can't talk with much authority about cloud-based Prime until we know what it is. So in your own words, sir, what is cloud-based Prime? Cloud-based Prime is a game where you're lost in the, in the clouds of a gas giant mining station, and things have gone pretty wrong. There's infested robots all over the place. But you'll be moving terrain to clear paths, um, launch your enemies and yourself and that'll all tie into the combat as well to really have a nice loop of launching enemies blowing them up uh, getting powers to do even bigger terrain movements um, the game's all about really using terrain physics powers to solve combat and just platforming also boasts the most sarcastic delivery of a tutorial ever written well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there's there's a point. I'm not going to say it. It's within the first three seconds of the game, but we'll talk about it later. But it had me. I had to pause the game. I was laughing so much. It's just it's the best way to re- respond. It just it, when when he oh, we'll come to it. We'll come to it. But the first <laughs> thing, just to be clear, everyone, Cloud Base Prime is a first person platformer. Now, that would have been helpful to say yes. Thank you. That's fine. That's fine. That's all I'm here for. <laughs> but and this, um, when the developer or a guest, I should say, comes on and describes their game, I this part I actually fill in the gaps, which no fault of your own. 
you don't know they're there because you're too close to the coalface, etc., etc. But ultimately, he is a first-person platformer. Now, those of us who are a bit long in the tooth, such as myself, uh, will know that historically that hasn't gone very well. No offence to yourself, Taurus. You probably were driven. <laughs> you know, it's just like this is a bad idea because we all know, we all know what happened in Turok, don't we? Yeah, yeah, we do, everyone. <laughs> That's you. Yeah, I can see you. You're putting your hand do up. You like yeah, put it put it down. We know we we come into it in a second, and we've also got the issue of Half Life and that bit where we got to jump on the crates. Yes, yes, thank you. We know that one. Didn't work out too well. So my first no. question, it didn't. I'm sorry, it it, it, really just, didn't. it didn't work on Turok. I don't know why it's in there. It's still, you know, <laughs> it's a good game otherwise, but just <laughs> it is actually. There was some packed though. Every developer for that decade, you need to at least have. About 30 minutes of horrible jumping over acid or in a pit. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It. Yeah. It's this weird, weird decision. Anyway, but other than that, it's actually quite a good game. As were the sequels to a point. We'll never discuss it for another time. What did you do in Cloud Based Prime in terms of the interface to avoid what I call, it's not generally known as, but I call it the Turok syndrome in, <laughs> in, in Cloud Based Prime? What did you do? I know what you did, but I want you to describe for me. What you did to make well, it so uh, it doesn't have a problem. Yeah. Well, it's good to remember that I was designing this for seven days. So I you know, had just a few hours of brainstorming while I was walking around thinking about this uh, on my lunch break at work and you know, before I got into the thick of it after work. And I was really wanting to have a, a puzzle FPS uh, that was definitely a bit of a thing at the time, but they were pretty heavy on the puzzle, pretty light on the shooting. Um, you'd always have these impressive physics powers that didn't interact with AI, really. Um, I, I assume often so that they could just focus on having more clear puzzles and just because of how hard it is, how expensive it is to have AI handle constantly changing physics. Uh, but on my end, that's what I wanted to go for. And so thinking of a very physics-based game, I also thought having good feeling platforming would be nice. And obviously that's not an easy problem to solve because people aren't solving it very often. But that brought me back to uh, way, way back to Jumping Flash, which is a game that came out before we had any sort of analog sticks on consoles. And for some reason, that first-person shooter had platforming that felt good. It's just bizarre. You know, that we solved that problem before we even had analog sticks. And yet, since then, hasn't really happened much. And fortunately, the, the physics powers that I wanted to have in the game, you know, kind of required that the player look at stuff. Because at least in uh, mouse look scenarios, you don't really have an easy way of aiming at the ground without just looking at it in a first-person shooter. And so you constantly be looking at the ground. And my idea for this physics power was to just have it burst up powerfully to either you know, launch your enemies or make a wall to protect you, uh, what have you. And I realized, well, if I look down and launch myself, I've, I'm looking down <laughs> and I'm up in the air and I get to pick where I go. I get to aim myself that way instead of 
having the typical first-person shooter quandary of, okay, I'm jumping while looking forward. I literally don't know where my feet are. I don't know where the platform in front of me is, et cetera. And, and so just that nice little uh, confluence of convenience between the puzzle physics mechanics and forcing the player to look down when they jumped, all of a sudden I had the, the physics design that I wanted and the good feeling first person shooter platforming that I wasn't even sure was possible until I came up with that power mechanic. Yep, that's it. Look at your feet. Because that's what I did in Half-Life. <laughs> that's what I did in Turok. It's simple as and, that. And that's what I did with Cloudbase. You look at the feet, everyone. That's what you do. Just so look you, down. Look down. Just look down. Um, and uh, simple as that. Um, so, uh, Although, yes. being flung very high into the air at the same time, certainly. Does help. And the ability to float, that's nice too. Also, it's quite difficult. Can I make that? Can I really make that? Oh, I can. Oh, I really can. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. Overshoot. Overshoot. (laughs) That's quite common. You can hover. You just hold down on jump after you launch yourself. Yeah. Frankly, there is a jump button in the game, but (laughs) I was always a little doubtful about how useful it was. Maybe I should just say it's the hover button. No, it's still a jump. Um, I'm playing on the Switch, and I'm using my Pro Controller. Um, I must confess that I did switch A and B across when they released the patch to the Twitch. Do you know about this? Oh yeah, the uh, the accessibility patch, right? They let you yeah at the system level swap buttons around. Swap buttons around. <laughs> I did it. I had. I had to. <laughs> that might get you with the controls for Carbis Prime, then. It does because the mapping <laughs> for it is like, oh, it's A. No, I'm hitting B, my friend. It's my A is B. My B is A. I'm all right, thanks. But you got you got to do it, mate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and in Cloud-based Prime, I've got the snap look controls. You do. On console because, well, honestly, the surprising thing when I thought about it is that first-person shooters do not make you look up and down anymore, uh, especially on console, just because of, well, joysticks aren't that fast. No. And this game, well, I just said, you're looking down all the damn time. Yeah. So, so I, I bound that. Uh, a looks... Oh, I just got the button swapped when I was talking, didn't I? It looks down. <laughs> it looks forward. X looks up. Yeah, that's right. That was entirely my fault, everyone. That was entirely my fault. <laughs> it doesn't matter now. Whatever you did, it doesn't matter because everyone's just remapped them, so it doesn't matter. Um, well, I say everyone. Well, most... fortunately, you can remap the controls uh, <laughs> almost everything besides the pause button in Cloudbase Prime. So. You can. You can. Oh, what an interface, though. Wow, that's awesome. Anyway, enemies. There are a few, by the way. Um, and you are playing as a little robot. We'll come on that later. We'll, we'll talk about the. Trust me. I'm just going to get to the mechanics first, um, Tyrus, and then we'll get into the story because there is one. Trust me, a very interesting <laughs> one. But the little enemies—they're little like corrupted robots. They've all got like an error screen on them. Them, and mm-hmm. uh, I found they creep up on you. You know, you don't yeah. know they're there, and uh, they chip away at your health very slowly. You know, you just don't realise that you're about to die, am I? Oh, God, yeah. Because they're just, was this their ability to do that, their ability to almost hide behind the scenery that you've made, a deliberate design decision, or is it something evolved? Yeah, it was... Uh, well, per, per area in the game, it kind of arises from different things. It was something I always tried to keep happening. Um, but depending on the enemy types and whatnot... It, 
it's caused by different design choices. Like, uh, you know, a flying enemy obviously can sneak up on you more easily from behind than a climbing enemy or something like that. But the, the basic thing that really causes it to happen a lot is that the levels are uh, made out of these floating islands composed of a bunch of hexagonal pillars that you can move up or down. And to navigate that, and to navigate your messing with it, the enemies in the game have to have AI that is more or less constantly checking, hey, is there a hole in front of me? Is there about it? Uh, you know, where's the player? How do I get to them? And they're very good at climbing, so they, they'll be hap- they'll happily do that. And that's usually a surprise for the player because they were behind a wall and all of a sudden they're dropping down on you. It's the and, little fly. I mean, there's many other enemies. And I'm just trying yeah. to be... I've gone through a lot of the games. I'm just really trying to be trying because stuff happens, everyone. Stuff happens that you were not expecting. You think... It's like, one of the great things about Cloud-Based Prime is you, it's one of those things like, oh, you think you got this? You think, no. <laughs> it's just like this is once the once the player and you think sort of got grokked the game so to speak they haven't and that's the best that's a really good i said that's a that's a sign of a really good designer knowing what it's like to go through a game to a point where it's like oh you think you got this i mean yeah it's a big a bit 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 dull isn't it yeah yeah not not anymore oh god so <laughs> yeah but you're right the they do creep up on you and if you don't deal with them you will be you know, and the fix spots only help you once. By the way, so anyway, yeah. they get um, you a respawn. They do. they do. So, I want to talk about fuel now. Sure. And the ability to propel enemies from tiles on the map um, affords the player to gather fuel. And when you get fuel, you can do special abilities, of which you get many. I'm happy to say. Again, I'm not going to reveal too much, but they are quite fun and usually quite destructive for the most part. Um, or some of them aren't. So. Anyway, special abilities that are fueled by fuel. But what I'm intrigued about is the mechanic to gather fuel requires you to actually be quite inventive with your destructive abilities or your destructive tendencies to give it to the enemy robots. Why? Well, because it's more fun. <laughs> it's it's actually shockingly easy for, for somebody to look at this game and say, hey, I can move the ground up and down. That's cool. I'll use it to get around. And, oh, a robot. Let me just click on it until it dies. And, uh, frankly, that's just not a very fun way to play the game, and I'd like people to do other things. And so <laughs> I was trying to think, you know, how, how do I really get people to use this combat um, use what they see as a puzzle mechanic, as a combat mechanic also, and launch the enemies up in the air. You know, I, I mean, because uh, I actually spend a fair amount of time making these enemies look really goofy and funny when they get launched up in the air, they spin around and get confused, etc. And I wanted people to see that. You almost and... feel sorry for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... And uh, honestly, in playtesting, I just wasn't seeing it happen enough. And I really, also, on the other side, I wanted a way to give people uh, access to those powers very frequently, but still require them to do something to have it, you know, so it wasn't just something you spammed endlessly and everything died. And that that really ended up being a a great way to reach both of those goals. Just launching an enemy gives you a little blue pip over its head, 
launching it again gives you a little number next to that pip. You're getting more and more fuel. And eventually when you blow them up, all that fuel comes flying to you. Yeah. After, after that, I got to see people use these powers way, way more. Really pretty rewarding for the player that way. I'm, I'm extremely happy with that decision. It came surprisingly late in the game, uh, if I remember right. But actually having that from the first moment in the game all the way up, it really gives people a lot to learn, a lot to play with. And it really improves uh, the physics and the combat ties them together in the ways that I, I'd wanted since day one. Well, it goes back to what we said at the earlier part of the show, is that what inspires you, what drives you, you want to play. To play. You know, it's the act of yes. playing. And this, this little interaction, this whole mechanic that we're describing there, encapsulate that brilliantly. In order to, and the player is rewarded for doing that. Uh, for for just messing around and go, I wonder what happens if I just launch him into Oh, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> it's just really funny. It's like, oh god. Well, oh well. He's only you know, he's a corrupted robot. He couldn't help himself. He just wants to blow me, shoot me in the face. I mean, I have to you know, it's either him or me. So, <clears throat> right. Last question. I know all good things must come to an end. At least I hope you think it's a good thing. But here we are. Yeah. <laughs> the main protagonist in Cloud Base Prime. Somewhat jaded about the whole situation. At least the, the guiding voice you're given. And, uh, you know, the opening gambit when he dis- discovers the means of the con- where you control yourself and your, the guidance through the, the world. They go, really? Why? <laughs> okay, just get the... What? What? Why? It's so good. It's just, it's just, he's just, just so tired of everything. Like, oh, did, oh, really? I oh, got, yeah. It's just he's complaining. He's just, just, I just, what I'm trying to get to is that it's very, very funny and it's very well, it's very dry. The human delivered is very, very dry. And um, I'm just wondering, was this done alongside the? the visual present representation of what's going on in the world, was this done to relieve the stress on the player? Yeah, uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I always wanted to have some sort of lighthearted core to the game, even though things do get heavier later. Mm. And, uh, I mean, another thing is, honestly, it was it relieved stress for me too. I was the voice actor. And so just having having this fun thing to record instead of having something serious and scary to record. Uh, it's frankly a lot less stressful. I can play with it a little more. Um, and, you know, a big part of the reason I do voice acting in my games isn't that I think I'm such a great voice actor. It's that I know I'm a better voice actor than I am a voice recording director. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I, can, I can try something out and go, oh, actually, didn't like that. Try it again, try it again. Whereas if I had another person in the booth responding to my request, they would probably get fed up after about the 10th take and say, you know what, you've got it, let's move on. <laughs> no, I want you this time, could you stress the third vowel? What? Just, <laughs> did it really, I want you to really be the robot and just like really think, why is he doing that? What? <laughs> Please hold that syllable because it sounds funny when I run it through the robot. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not going to put up with that, turns out. No, badly also, not. Also, probably only going to find that out after I run it through. Yeah. Oh, let's come back and do it again. Yeah, yeah. Right, and, well. Yeah, ha- ha- yeah, sorry. Oh, and just having uh, this sort of immediate reason to sympathize with the, the voice in your robot suit in the game, uh, you know, I really hoped it would help you tie yourself to the game in a way um, that, that helps the rest of the story really involve you much more uh, much more thoroughly than it would otherwise. Now, humor is really a great way to attach somebody to a game, not just to relieve pressure or let them step back, but actually to help them uh, go in further with you for the ride. Yeah. You know, wherever it goes. Yeah. I mean, some of the most memorable parts of the games we were talking about, like Half-Life, was actually the funny bit. And there is humour in those games, uh, especially when you launch some of those head crabs and like, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, right. The original Half Life had had a lot of humor that just came from you know these poor scientists getting mauled. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't go quite that dark in Cloudburst Prime. It's strictly tea. Yeah, but... it is. It is. <laughs> it's, um... So Cloudburst Prime uh, by Floating Island Games. I do have to ask the name of the studio, by the way. Which there was some confusion with the email exchange. I thought that was the name of the game because it looked like it. But uh, where, where where did the name of Floating Island Games come from? Well, it uh, it came from really the, this idea of sort of having a, a magical floating stone, you know, that up in the sky. It's such a prevalent idea in video games for, I assume, just you know, making level design easier. <laughs> but it's this imagery that we're incredibly used to seeing, and it's so. Uh, improbable impossible and it's kind of a good summary of what video games bring to the table in general you know we take for granted all of these strange things that they just bring into our lives and make normal yeah you're right there is an unhealthy obsession with very large things that ought not floating in the sky (laughs) (laughs) it's just constant it's just like you're right. I've never thought about it. It's in Breath of the Wild. It's like, wait, you're right. It's a Oh, that's a whole, you know, therapy session that we don't want to get into. <laughs> Why? What What does Why it mean? Making continents float game develop. Yeah. Why? And, uh, and from a sort of meta standpoint, well... I don't know why I said that. Literally, all of this is meta. It's a studio name. Uh, <laughs> but from a personal standpoint, I am one developer um, you know, working in my house, and I've worked with a great musician for the game, Matt Javanshir. Mm. But besides that, you know, that's that's it. My day-to-day is me sitting down in front of a computer, and uh, I, I, I am a little bit of an island. Okay. That. But, but also, there's this imagery that I really struggled to bring into uh, my company's logo and failed of bridges between these floating islands. You know, this it's very, not just isolation, but the sort of extreme danger below that comes with that and still building bridges between all these floating islands was something that always uh, was just very powerful imagery for me whenever I saw it in games, movies, comics, etc. And, and so this idea of being a floating island but still putting something out there for the world really spoke to me and just how I work. Very profound. And I mean that sincerely. I'm not being sarcastic. 
um, so yes, cloud-based Prime by Floating Island Games is out now. On I'm going to get this right. I looked this up, and this is in your press release. So if it's wrong, it's your fault. Uh, it's Windows PC, Mac OS, Linux, and Nintendo Switch. That's right. Yay! Good. Well, Tyrus has been wonderful having you on. Uh, it's been great being on. I'm glad you like the game. Yeah, and um, I do wish you the very best of luck in your future endeavours, whatever they may be. And um, you are, of course, welcome to return to the show to talk about the next game you're working on, whenever that is. Um, we have had a lot of return guests, so you'll, you won't be the first. <laughs> Thank you. That'll be a bit of motivation for me to take less than five years this time. Yeah, and we've had... Trust me, we'll be here. We'll be here. We've had guests on, like I said, from the early days, and they came back five years later. I've made a new thing. Oh, okay. And what's lovely about that is that we don't actually do much of the first half because it's a waste of time. I just go, just listen to the previous episode they were on. So, Still um, my games, yeah. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> How did you make your stuff? Well, see previous. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks very much. You've been a great guest. And, uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for hosting. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>